Book four, chapter five of the Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book four, the closed door, chapter five, the journey across the heath. Thursday, the 31st of August, was one of a series of days during which snug houses were stifling, and when cool draughts were treats, when cracks appeared in clayey gardens, and were called earthquakes by apprehensive children, when loose spokes were discovered in the wheels of carts and carriages, and when stinging insects haunted the air, the earth, and every drop of water that was to be found. In Mrs. Yobright's garden, large-leaved plants of a tender kind flagged by ten o'clock in the morning rhubarb bent downward at eleven and even stiff cabbages were limp by noon it was about eleven o'clock on this day that mrs yopright started across the heath towards her son's house to do her best at getting reconciled with him and eustacia in conformity with her words to the rental man she had hoped to be well advanced in her walk before the heat of the day was at its highest but after setting out she found this was not to be done the sun had branded the whole heath with its mark even the purple heath flowers having put on a brownness under the dry blazes of the few preceding days every valley was filled with air like that of a kiln and the clean quartz sand of the winter watercourses which formed summer paths had undergone a species of incineration since the drought had set in in cool fresh weather mrs yobright would have found no inconvenience in walking to alderworth but the present torrid attack made the journey a heavy undertaking for a woman past middle age and at the end of the third mile she wished that she had hired fairway to drive her a portion at least of the distance but from the point at which she had arrived it was as easy to reach clem's house as to get home again so she went on the air around her pulsating silently and oppressing the earth with lassitude. She looked at the sky overhead, and saw that the sapphirine hue of the zenith in spring and early summer had been replaced by a metallic violet. Occasionally she came to a spot where independent words of ephemerons were passing their time in mad carousal, some in the air, some on the hot ground and vegetation, some in the tepid and stringy water of a nearly dried pool all the shallower ponds had decreased to a vaporous mud amid which the maggoty shapes of innumerable obscure creatures could be indistinctly seen heaving and wallowing with enjoyment being a woman not disinclined to philosophize she sometimes sat down under her umbrella to rest and to watch their happiness for a certain hopefulness as to the result of her visit gave ease to her mind and between important thoughts left it free to dwell on any infinitesimal matter which caught her eyes mrs yobright had never before been to her son's house and its exact position was unknown to her she tried one ascending path after another and found that they led her astray retracing her steps she came again to an open level where she perceived at a distance a man at work she went towards him and inquired the way the labourer pointed out the direction, and added, "'Do you see that furze cutter, ma'am, going up that footpath yond?' Mrs. Yobright strained her eyes, and at last said that she did perceive him. "'Well, if you follow him, you can make no mistake. He's going to the same place, ma'am.' 
she followed the figure indicated. He appeared of a russet hue, not more distinguishable from the scene around him than the green caterpillar from the leaf it feeds on. His progress when actually walking was more rapid than Mrs. Yobright's, but she was enabled to keep at an equable distance from him by his habit of stopping whenever he came to a break of brambles, where he paused a while. On coming in her turn to each of these spots, she found half a dozen long limp brambles, which he had cut from the bush during his halt and laid out straight beside the path. They were evidently intended for furs faggot bonds, which he meant to collect on his return. The silent being who thus occupied himself seemed to be of no more account in life than an insect. He appeared as a mere parasite of the heath, fretting its surface in his daily labour as a moth frets a garment, entirely engrossed with its products, having no knowledge of anything in the world but fern, furs, heath, lichens, and moss. The first cutter was so absorbed in the business of his journey that he never turned his head and his leather-legged and gauntleted form at length became to her as nothing more than a moving handpost to show her the way. Suddenly she was attracted to his individuality by observing peculiarities in his walk. It was a gait she had seen somewhere before, and the gait revealed the man to her as the gait of Ahimaaz in the distant plain made him known to the watchman of the king. "'His walk is exactly as my husband's used to be,' she said and then the thought burst upon her that the first cutter was her son. She was scarcely able to familiarize herself with this strange reality. She had been told that Klim was in the habit of cutting furs, but she had supposed that he occupied himself with the labor only at odd times, by way of a useful pastime, yet she now beheld him as a first cutter, and nothing more, wearing the regulation dress of the craft and thinking the regulation thoughts to judge by his motions. Planning a dozen hasty schemes for at once preserving him and Eustatia from this mode of life, she throbbingly followed the way, and saw him enter his own door. At one side of Klim's house was a knoll, and on the top of the knoll a clump of fir-trees so highly thrust up into the sky that their foliage from a distance appeared as a black spot in the air above the crown of the hill. On reaching this place, Mrs. Yobright felt distressingly agitated, weary, and unwell. She ascended, and sat down under their shade to recover herself, and to consider how best to break the ground with Eustatia, so as not to irritate a woman underneath whose apparent indolence lurked passions even stronger and more active than her own. The trees beneath which she sat were singularly battered, rude, and wild, and for a few minutes, Mrs. Yobright dismissed thoughts of her own storm-broken and exhausted state to contemplate theirs. Not a bough in the nine trees which composed the group but was splintered, lopped, and distorted by the fierce weather that there held them at its mercy whenever it prevailed. Some were blasted and split as if by lightning, black stains as from fire marking their sides, while the ground at their feet was strewn with dead fir-needles and heaps of cones blown down in the gales of past years. The place was called the Devil's Bellows, and it was only necessary to come there on a March or November night to discover the forcible reasons for that name. On the present heated afternoon, when no perceptible wind was blowing, the trees kept up a perpetual moan, 
which one could hardly believe to be caused by the air. Here she sat for twenty minutes or more, ere she could summon resolution to go down to the door, her courage being lowered to zero by her physical lassitude. To any other person than a mother it might have seemed a little humiliating that she, the elder of the two women, should be the first to make advances. But Mrs. Yobright had well considered all that, and she only thought how best to make her visit appear to Eustacia not abject, but wise. From her elevated position the exhausted woman could perceive the roof of the house below, and the garden and the whole enclosure of the little domicile. And now, at the moment of rising, she saw a second man approaching the gate. His manner was peculiar, hesitating, and not that of a person come on business or by invitation. He surveyed the house with interest, and then walked round and scanned the outer boundary of the garden, as one might have done had it been the birthplace of Shakespeare, the prison of Mary Stuart, or the Chateau of Hougomont. After passing round and again reaching the gate, he went in. Mrs. Yobright was vexed at this, having reckoned on finding her son and his wife by themselves, but a moment's thought showed her that the presence of an acquaintance would take off the awkwardness of her first appearance in the house by confining the talk to general matters until she had begun to feel comfortable with them. She came down the hill to the gate and looked into the hot garden. There lay the cat asleep on the bare gravel of the path, as if beds, rugs, and carpets were unendurable. The leaves of the hollyhocks hung like half-closed umbrellas, the sap almost simmered in the stems, and foliage with a smooth surface glared like metallic mirrors. A small apple-tree, of the sort called rather-ripe, grew just inside the gate, the only one which throve in the garden by reason of the lightness of the soil and among the fallen apples on the ground beneath were wasps, rolling drunk with the juice, or creeping about the little caves in each fruit which they had eaten out before stupefied by its sweetness. By the door lay Crim's furze-hook and the last handful of faggot-bonds she had seen him gather. They had plainly been thrown down there as he entered the house. End of Book Four, Chapter Five